Our topic uh, for discussion this morning, all about the Bible verses and stories that would absolutely shock the average Christian. And is there a theological explanation? Do join us as we at Brunpunt invited different pastors and theologians to respond to these scriptures. So please join us for the next half an hour as we try and make sense of these amazing scriptures that would absolutely shock the average Christian. Don't stray or go away as we'll be back with our respondents right after this. I've got a prof. Jan van der Watt online and we're talking about Prof. Jan, probably one of the most horrendous stories in all of scripture, especially in the Old Testament, Judges 19, a story that demonstrates chaos, lawlessness, this Levite that's uh, slicing up this woman's body and sending it all over Israel. What is your understanding? Why do you think that particular piece is in, in the Old Testament? Actually, if you look at Judges 19, uh, it's part of a larger story. And it's the second longest story after Gideon, the, the story of Gideon. So it's an important story, and it's at the end of Judges. Now, we know uh, Judges as book actually uh, describes the situation just before Saul was selected as king, illustrating the need of the Israelite people to get a leader, a king, because they did not really follow the, the big king God as they should have. But now in, in Judges, you often get the situation that Israel sins and then God forgives them and then they sin again. So the people did not really uh, succeed in following God as they should. And this last story, chapter 19 to 21, forms one story, and it starts with the remark, there was no king. And then it ends with that remark also, there was no leadership. And then it says everybody just did what they wanted to do. There were no rules. What they thought is right, they did. And this story actually illustrates in a very apt way, Israel falling apart, Israel becoming part of the sinful world, the Canaanite world in which they lived. Now, uh, this story has several levels, and uh, the first level in, in chapter 19 actually deals with hospitality. Uh, the man, the Levite, goes and he uh, fetches his wife, but his father-in-law is very hospitable. He does not want him to leave, but gives him everything he needs. And then he goes into Israel, to a city in Israel, and he passes actually the Canaanite city because he says those people are too evil. And then he lands in this city, but nobody wants to give him a place to live. And then in the end, he got a place to live with a man and while they were still feasting, the people of the city, the men came and demanded to uh, rape him. They said host must deliver uh, this man to them and they wanted to rape him, which of course did not happen. The host defended the man and uh, actually the man's wife was given to the people and they actually uh, raped her and murdered her in the end and he sent then her body to the different parts of Israel. Now that's, uh, I think, many people regard this as the most gruesome story in the, whole of the, the Old Testament. And it's because in this story you see what happens if people stop to worship God, if they turn their backs on God and start to live a life that is dominated by human desires and so on, then you get this absolutely outrageous, gruesome 
events. Yeah. Provian, do you yeah. think that story, graphic as it is, it's a shocking story. Do you think that story, graphic as it is, especially put in the Bible so that we can learn from it? Because it almost sounds like the things that's happening in our modern day world nowadays. That's exactly the point. The reason why the story is in the Bible is uh, to illustrate what happens if you turn your back on God. Now, the dehumanization of man following his own desires, and that is why the story is in the Bible. It's absolutely, several times in the story, it says that this is totally wrong, what is happening here, uh, to illustrate that uh, this is not according to the will of God. So on the other hand, for us today, it illustrates what happens if people start to forget uh, about God. You know, we have, uh, obviously, we don't have all these murders. That is also part of it. If you look at all the wars uh, for uh, own gain, you know, people killing each other, but also a very central part of this is uh, the role of the woman. The poor woman has no say. You know, she's simply shoved into the the crowd and they rape her and so on. And she says nothing. She's completely quiet, which uh, illustrates to us that there are people in this society and uh, especially also women that must be protected, that we must uh, look after, especially in these years where we celebrate women and and children, you know. So this is is a story for them. So, Prof, just in closing, Jesus says, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. It will be as in the days of Noah. So you think there's a lesson to be learned from this. Don't turn your back on God. Otherwise, this is how the world will end. No, I think there's most certainly a lesson. I mean, this story is is a parallel story to Sodom and Gomorrah, which is often used uh, in the New Testament also by Jesus to indicate this last days that will come where people will totally uh, turn their backs on God and so on, and then God will come. So I think this story also serves as a warning for us to to make sure that our uh, relationship with God is is not deteriorating, but uh, that it actually determines the way in which we live every day. Prof. Jan van Levert, thank you so much for uh, just putting some sense into this absolute horrendous graphic story. Judges 19, go and read it. And thank you so much for explaining it to us this morning. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Right, I also got uh, Pastor Mark Penrith online, the uh, new presenter of Table Talk on a Friday here at Radio Pulpit. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us. There's a very, very difficult scripture in the Bible uh, which people sometimes choose to ignore. It's Matthew seven twenty two twenty three, where Jesus says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons, done many wonders in your name? And then comes the answer, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Uh, what are we to make of the scripture? Why do you think that's in God's word? Well, Zainan, such an important passage um, and such a terrifying passage, isn't it? I, I mean, just imagine hearing the words from Christ, depart from me, you lawbreakers. Um, really, really scary stuff. I would draw two main points as I as I look at this passage. Firstly, not all miracles are performed by true believers. And and that already should draw our attention to this passage and make our ears kind of stand up. But then the second point that I draw out of this passage is not everyone who acts in the name of Christ is of Christ. And, and that should be a grave warning to each one and each and every one of us, causing us to examine ourselves. 
maybe just in short to explain what's going on. Uh, this passage is in the Sermon of the Mount, and that's Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and Jesus started in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 7, uh, beginning a, a series of comparisons, comparing true faith and false professions of faith. Now, now Jesus does that all the time uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, he compares two paths, a broad path that leads to destruction yeah. and a narrow path that leads to eternal life. But but we're used to Jesus using that kind of language. He talks about sheep and wolves and grapes and figs and thorn bushes and thistles and good trees and bad trees. So it's definitely there's a warning for all Christians to examine themselves and to see are they really and truly in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, I want to take you to another scripture, Mark. We're still in the parable of the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5.32. This is a even a more dangerous scripture. It says, I say that a man who divorces his wife except for fornication causes her to commit adultery if she marries again. And he who marries her commits adultery. It also points to 1 Corinthians 7.11. Uh, my goodness, Mark, what are we to make of this scripture? You know, Valent, this passage isn't actually that difficult to understand. You read it, and its plain sense, its simple sense, actually is the sense. The bottom line is God hates divorce. He absolutely hates divorce. Our culture has become so familiar with divorce that, that we no longer even give it a second thought. We excuse all kinds of sexual immorality. But these scriptures clearly state that remarriage after divorce is adultery, except in the instances of marital unfaithfulness. My understanding of scripture is that God does offer mercy and grace to the innocent party in yeah. a divorce yeah. and allows that, that person to remarry. But a person who gets a divorce for any reason other than the reasons in those exception clauses and then gets remarried has committed adultery. It's a frightening and thing, Mark, but what about those who's listening to this program and say, listen, yeah, but we've, we've repented before the Lord. We went to the Lord. We said sorry, and now we're happily married. What would you say to them? Uh, so, well, two, two things. One is there's, there's different types of repentance, and there's a repentance, you know, in terms of just the consequences of, uh, of our sin that the world is very familiar with. But, but a believer who is truly repentant and comes to the Lord and confesses their sins before them can trust that he's faithful and just and will forgive all unrighteousness. And the question really does become, is the remarriage an act of adultery or is it a state of adultery? And my view from Scripture would be, no matter the circumstances, um, it's not a continual state of adultery. Once you've been remarried, you are remarried. And to get a divorce from a remarriage in and of itself would be an act of adultery. Yeah. And so that would include breaking vows before God. Um, and so uh, when, once we have taken vows before God and before witnesses, we need a whole path yeah. to the things that we have promised. Definitely very important scriptures, and they're in the Bible for a very, very good reason, isn't it? Just in closing. Well, it, it gives me goosebumps to think how easily we ignore God's Word, and just follow after our own desires. But His Word is clear. It's easy to understand, and it calls us to a high standard. Praise God for Jesus Christ, uh, who saves wretches just like me, because sin is so easy to fall into.
Reverend Mark Penrith, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us on these two very difficult scriptures in God's Word. God bless you, Vainant. From the Free State, Prof. Pete Strauss got him on a line. Prof, thank you so much for making sense of these scriptures that we want to talk about. The average Christian not uh, exactly aware of Ezekiel 20 and verse 25, where the Israelites performed child sacrifices to God. Is there any truth in that story, sir? This was given, God himself says, this was given as, as an instruction. It's an instruction to let the people know that they, they, they should be ashamed of the fact that they, they sacrifice their, their children or their firstborn children. They should be ashamed of that. And in order to do that or to recreate a kind of a feeling we've got respect for the Lord. They want, they want people to turn them to the Lord because this as, as a bad instruction. Uh, is not in, in accordance with, with that which is good. So uh, that, that should shame them. All right. So that should shame them. Taking you now to the New Testament, Luke fourteen twenty six and yeah. verse 33. It's, a, it's another frightening scripture. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife or his children, yeah. brothers or sisters, then such a person cannot be my disciple. How do you understand that scripture? I think it also depends on, on the translation. Uh, I've got the Afrikaans translation of 1983, the new Afrikaans version of the Bible. And it says that if you take, any, uh, take, take distance from your, your wife or your, your family and, and depend on God, uh, because if you do not totally depend on God, if your life is not totally dependent on God, but if you also take uh, um, family members, and, and let your, your life be determined by these members instead of God. It's not a good thing. So it's not a question of height. It's a question of, of a little distance, a little, you know, on your own, yeah. independence from the family and family ties and also the influence of family. So, profit, yes? in other words, putting, putting your family between you and God and almost making idols of them. Yes, 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 yes. That should be the case. A family member cannot uh, replace God. As, as the center point of your, of your existence. Uh, you know, God, yeah. God should determine everything in your life. Right, that's family. What about possessions? Jesus speaks about it many a time, saying to people, go and sell your possessions, give it to the yeah. poor. Are we not allowed to have possessions? If we look at uh, Luke 12, uh, verse 33, how should we take that scripture? The whole tenant of, of that piece of scripture is not to, to let you know that you cannot possess something, but that your possessions also should not determine your life. Uh, it should be God, and it should also God. Your, your relationship with God should also determine what you do with your possessions. Uh, you know how you use it, uh, and, and so on. What about the young man that Jesus said to you? Still lack one thing: sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come and that's follow a way, That's a way of finding out whether this young man is serious in his approach to, to Jesus. Uh, if, if, if he is very serious in giving to people what they need, if he can do that. And that's why he said to him, uh, if you are very serious, then you are prepared to sacrifice something which is not so important in your life. And that's, uh, I think that should also be the case with, with us. Uh, not cling to your positions as, 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 a, as a mode of life. But, but cling to God and His Word, and then use in that process 
uh, your positions for, for the betterment of, of the world around you. So you think all of these scriptures that we've made uh, mention of Ezekiel 20, 25, 26, Luke yeah. 14, Luke 11, Luke 12, Luke 18, 22, very important scriptures, they should be in the Bible for us. Yes, they should be, but what they are trying to do is to, to emphasize that God should, should be the center of our existence, that everything in our life should, should center around God, and He should determine our way of doing things, and also using things, and, 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 and uh, using symbols. And, and show people what our very approach to, to life is. Prof. Piet Strauss, thank you so much for making sense of these scriptures. It's shocking scriptures. Many Christians not aware of these scriptures. But uh, yeah. thank you so much for making sense of them and speaking to us here at Brandpunt. No, it's a pleasure. Professor Thijs van Rensburg. Prof, another shocking scripture is uh, the story of the unknown man being given the death penalty for picking up sticks. Numbers 15. Uh, why do you think that piece of scripture is in God's word? If we look at the scripture, Numbers 15, verse 32, and while the children were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Now, they were drilled with, the, with, with that. You can't work on the Sabbath because they came out of Egypt and God's word, God's laws were not kept. And then they found this guy picking up sticks on a Sabbath. And they that found him gathering the sticks took him unto Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. Now, this is important. It is not just the one man that takes the decision. He gets before the group. And the whole group decided the man shall surely be put to death. Now, if you look in verse 35, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregations shall stone him with stones without the camp. Now, it's important that when we do something, when we think about something, when we've got to take a decision, we've got to hear God's voice. Prof, if we look at that scripture and we look at how it's going in 2021, people couldn't care less. They work morning, noon and night. They work Saturdays. They work Sundays. They work Fridays. Do you think we can learn something from this scripture? Is there anything to be learned? Is there a reason why this particular story is in the Bible? Yes. We won't have enough stones in South Africa because God has spoken. We're not keeping the Sabbath. Me and my family are keeping the Sabbath because it's God's word. Uh, we don't keep Sunday. We get a lot of, of, of cross people because of that. And when I say to them, but the word of God says the Sabbath we've got to keep. Yeah. And they just say, yeah, but that's Old Testament. As far as I know, the Old Testament is part of the Bible. And you can't separate the Bible in New and Old Testament and say, this part I'm not I'm, I'm going to believe and that part I'm not going to believe. The point is, are we selecting scriptures now? I want to take you to the next scripture, Acts 15, Acts 15, verse 28, 29, that says, Abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. I think it's self-explanatory. I want to get to the blood issue, because we're not supposed to... Yeah, we're not supposed to drink blood or eat blood. But what about blood transfusion? Because there's certain denominations, certain religions build around this one that says, no, no, no blood transfusion for me. Uh, how do we understand this scripture? I've been in hospital a long time at one stage, and luckily I didn't have need to have blood transfusions. But there were people next to me, and the one kid's parents refused. They just said, no, the Bible says we can't drink blood. 
And in my little brain and what I said, but he's not drinking it. They're putting it in his veins to save his life. Ooh. And they were upset with me. And I think that's where the difference come in. We can't drink blood as food, but we can use it to save a life. And that's how clear the scripture is for me. Somebody would say it's not food. Somebody would say if you abstain from alcohol, you're not supposed to drink it. You're not supposed to then inject it directly into your veins. What would you say to that argument? Well, a lot of people that is treated by doctors are getting a percentage of alcohol in some of the things they, they inject yeah. in their brain because it's it's a germ killer, and you're not going to get high on that. So that is how you explain that one. And the last scripture that I need some making sense of it is Matthew 23 and verse 9. But you do not be called rabbis, for one is your teacher, and all of you are brothers. Moreover, okay. do not call anyone father on earth. How do we understand that scripture? Because we all have dads on earth. What are we are to make of that scripture? Well, the big thing is God said, and Jesus said, our Father that is in heaven. Now, it's difficult because I call my, I used to call my dad Father because I love him. He is the one that fathered me. But we have to keep in mind that there's a Father in heaven and we've got the Father, our fathers on earth. And if we speak to our dads like we speak to God, that his word is final, it's very difficult. Because I used to call my dad father. And and I don't believe I've crossed the word by, by, by saying that. But you shouldn't call him father like father in heaven. Because that is that is totally wrong. In other words, uh, to worship him, to make an idol of him. Absolutely. Oh, right. We can't do that. And that is the main thing. We can call him father because even calling him daddy is, is uplifting him above other people in my life. But we can't. We can't worship him. We can love him, we can respect him. Like we love and respect the Father, but we can't worship him. Prof. Thijs Farinsberg, thank you so much for making sense of these scriptures and sharing your heart and mind on these three particular scriptures. Thank you for chatting to us here at Brandpunt. It's my pleasure. It's my life. Thanks a million. Well, from Levende Woord, Pastor Neville Norden got him online. Neville, thank you so much for joining us. Psalms 50 and verse 21, 22. These things you have done, I have kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces. Was this a scripture for Christians, for followers of God, believers, or for heathens? How do we understand this particular scripture? My understanding is due to false religions, they thought they were, that they were praying to God and that he was one with them. Yet they will now know that they were wrong. And the promise was not that Ishmael would be the heir to the promise, or through him the heir to the promise would come. It would come through Isaac. So they mistake God's silence as approval. God was silent for a purpose. This false religion will be turned to, torn to pieces. Yeah. So God is not saying, I don't speak. He's just saying that sometimes being silent is an answer. And he says, you're praying to a false God. We must remember who the Lord uses. He uses people 
like Isaiah to confront false religions. Yeah. And, and, and we, uh, we've, uh, we've got the same problem today. People think God's silence is his approval and they can carry on with the corruption and the things that we see in this world, isn't it? Whenever I say to people, we've got to look at God's character. God is love. For God so greatly loved John 3.16 that he gave. But God is also consuming fire. So you don't play with God. He is not your buddy buddy. And uh, sometimes we as parents, children ask a question and we keep quiet and they think that's an answer. Yeah. The answer is we've taught you, you're busy with a false thing, this is not right. You know truth. Now talking about truth, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, another scripture that we choose to ignore because we think our righteous deed will get us into heaven. You know, we do this, we do that. We help the poor. We give money here. I go to church. I've got my church. But, but the Bible says in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, it says, our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. What do we make of this scripture? When I understand Paul, Paul in Philippians 3 says, I don't want to be found with the righteousness of my own. We call that religion. Religion says what you have done, while God says, look at what I have done for you. So we can never become righteous by our own righteousness. We have to become righteous by the righteousness that God gives us in Christ Jesus. That's why we have to pull that into the New Testament, where he says in um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that Jesus was made sin for us so that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. So when we want to come before the Lord with our own righteous deeds, like I prayed with a man, he said, I was the head elder for 30 years, but he didn't have peace to die. Yeah. When he admitted that he was a sinner and asked Jesus to be his savior, so he stopped putting his righteous deeds before the Lord. Then he said, I have peace. And two hours later, he passed on. Neville, two last scriptures that we sometimes choose to ignore. We place Satan directly across God and saying, if it's bad, it must be Satan. If it's good, it must be God. I'm referring to Isaiah 45 and verse 7, where God says, I form the light and created darkness. I make peace and create evil. I am the Lord that does all these things. As well as Deuteronomy 32 and verse 39, where God says, There is none besides me. It is I who put to death. It is I who give life. What are we to make of these scriptures? My understanding of that is that um, God in the Old Testament, people wanted the law. If we go to Exodus, when they came to the mountain, they wanted the letter of the law. And the law was, Lord is telling them, the law will kill you. So God is saying, um, you want a law, I'll give you my law. But the law will kill you. So he's not saying, I make evil to be evil. I set the, the law, and if you break the law, then it will kill you. That's why the Lord says, I stand at the door and I knock, and if you open the door, yeah. I will enter and sup with you. Now, what breaking the Sabbath, for instance, in the Old Testament, people were stoned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to, to, uh, so, and today there's grace. It doesn't mean I can do whatever I want to do. When the Lord says, I stand at the door and I knock, and he says, I will come in and sup with you. Yeah. What will you offer me? 
So, what so, you offer me? So let's take you then to the New Testament. You say this is Old Testament. In Luke 18, this is Jesus speaking here. He's saying, why do you call me good? Only God alone is good. Isn't Jesus God? Jesus came as the last Adam. So he didn't come to be God on earth. I'm going to explain it very carefully because Philippians 2 says that he stripped himself of being God. So he speaks of God as honest and truthful. He proved to them by his life that he was the sacrificial lamb. That's why they had to take the sacrificial lamb and they had to bring it, as it were, in a time of testing before they'd sacrifice it. And Jesus came before the whole Jerusalem and Pilate declared him righteous. So he was saying that as the last Adam, he had to live righteous to become righteous. Not that he was unrighteous, but he didn't come declaring, you all wrong and I'm right. If you have to sum it up, these scriptures that we made mention of, very important scriptures, they must be in God's word, not so, in closing. Of course. Uh, Paul says uh, in the book of Acts, I've brought to you the whole counsel of God. Like I say to people, you can't play with sin. Sin will kill you. Sin will separate you from God. And uh, that's the challenge. I'm ministering on this Sunday on as we come in to the last two weeks before the crucifixion. What is Jesus trying to teach me? And what can I learn from his life? And when he says forgive 70 times 7, he knew that we would mess up. So he made a way of escape to, to forgive. Then in Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, he says, pursue peace. Otherwise, a root of bitterness grows in you. So he, he gives us both sides. And uh, if we ignore, as I said, God's a consuming yeah. fire. Never again can you say, I did not hear, I did not know. Pastor Neville Norden, head of Leavenworth, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us on these very difficult scriptures. Thank you. It's a short time, but I trust the listeners will hear.